Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Radio. My name is Danielle Vogel, and you're listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio, a show about the little things you can do to minimize your personal carbon footprint. This show is all about empowering you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making just by being a little bit more mindful about the way you eat, drink, shop, and think. This isn't hard stuff, but we'll show you just how easy it can be when you know exactly which small things really do matter. If fighting climate change is something that's important to you or possibly just something you're curious to learn more about, please consider subscribing to Everyday Enviro wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm joined by corporate sustainability and waste management expert, Gary Levitan. Gary, welcome back to Everyday Enviro. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's, uh, it's great to be back. Excited to have this chat. I think it's going to be pretty darn interesting. So Gary recently left his position as vice president of sustainability at RTS, which is a technology-based waste and recycling firm. It is, in fact, the very firm that Glenn's Garden Market uses to manage our three waste streams, trash, recycling, and compost. He joined us a few weeks ago on Everyday Enviro for a chat about corporate sustainability. And today we'll be talking about responsible waste stream management. All right, Gary, I've really been looking forward to our conversation because I have a lot of questions about the state of recycling in America, as do many of our listeners, I'm sure. So let's start with the basics. What percentage of recyclable material actually gets recycled? That's the basics, huh? Um, <laughs> um, that's, uh, I, I mean, I feel like we could have a series of, of conversations just to answer this question properly. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have to disappoint you and not give you an actual number. Can you give I us like a you- scope, like a reference point? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, and if you, if you mean recycling, just to clarify, we're not just talking about, um, you know, recycling materials like plastics. I assume we just mean, or you just mean just general landfill diversion, like, which could include composting, repurposing, etc. Or are we just talking about material that gets recycled into similar material and reused? Well, that's a, it's an important nuance. I've been listening to quite a few podcasts to get ready for today, and the stats are staggering. Um, I've heard numbers as low as something like only 5% of potentially recyclable material even gets recycled. So I guess that's more what I meant. Yeah. Um, I, I, honestly, uh, that number is probably not that far off. If you're talking about just an average across the country or across North America, uh, the number is not very high. Um, it's for various reasons, which we can get into, you know, yeah. later. But the, the number is pretty low. I would uh, honestly, and, and it varies very much by region uh, and region within region, be, just because of the infrastructure, because of how different regions sort, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I would honestly say that probably the real number is somewhere in the five to fifteen, twenty percent range at most. And this is, you know, decades into a national consciousness about the importance of recycling. We're still getting a, a very, very low F. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, we had a bit of a renaissance over maybe the last 15 years, or not, not a renaissance. We've had a peak 
uh, of of realization and and adoption and uh, I feel like Americans over the last couple of decades have really gotten on the recycling bandwagon. Um, the problem is that peak was kind of it was facilitated by this this shipping materials off to other countries, most specifically yeah. in Asia. And that what that did is that created um, it created bad habits uh, and it created this reliance on single stream recycling because it's easy. Um, but uh, you know, logically, how feasible? How really feasible is single stream recycling? Can you, you know? can, can we answer that question actually? So first of all, would you please just define the term single stream, and then we'll talk about why it's uh, imperfect. Absolutely. So single stream means that. Uh, it, Basically, all simplified, all of your recyclable materials, at least similar recyclable materials, like different kinds of plastics and plastic-related items, for example, mm-hmm. uh, get mixed, get cleaned and mixed into one orifice, you know, one container, and then get shipped off and sorted at a sorting facility. That's single stream. And are the facilities specific to types of recyclable material? Is that part of the problem? Part of the problem is the facilities are generally for all types of materials. So they sort, you know, they have to sort the plastics, they have to sort the glass, they have to sort uh, different paper goods. You know, they're really, that's part of the infrastructure problem that I touched on earlier is there just aren't that many facilities that are specific to various waste streams. So then at the same facility, they could, they would have the capacity to recycle everything from, you know, aluminum cans to glass bottles, most likely? Not to recycle, but to sort. Okay, but then when it comes to actually like processing the sorted recyclable material, are the facilities, are they specific to a single type of material or are, are they able to absorb everything that would come out of a single stream? Uh, for the most part, they are single materials. Maybe, you know, you'll have a recycling facility that could do glass and plastic, mm-hmm. but generally they focus on one type of stream. All right, so... The single stream is going to a sorting facility, and then the sorting facility is sending the the you know now non commingled recyclable materials out to various different processing plants. In theory, yes. And does do we have domestic capacity to process all those different collected materials, or are we? What I'm trying to get to is like we've all seen the pictures, we've all heard the reports about you know barges full of waste going to mostly Asian countries um, and them sort of reaching a point of uh, of capacity. And so what I'm wondering is, like, do we have the domestic capacity or is it a capacity problem or is it a sorting problem or is it a legislation problem? Like, why is it that all of why, – why are our waste streams leaving America? <laughs> all of the above. Um, we have capacity. Uh, we definitely have capacity in this country. Do we have uh, – Excess capacity? Uh, no. Uh, do we have capacity that is cost-effective and convenient to every major recycling, you know, urban recycling zone? No, uh, but we do have capacity. Um, the problem isn't necessarily the, the the facility capacity; it's the commodity price. It's the demand for recyclable or recycled materials. Mm-hmm. The commodity price is almost non-existent right now. So even if, you, if, if we sorted everything and cleaned everything properly, um, it's just not cost effective uh, to, to add additional cost by shipping, let's say, clean plastic 
to a recycling facility that's not going to pay you anything for it or might even charge you to send it to them. So how do we overcome those economics? We're going to get into theories now, and we're going to get into anecdotal opinions. So I just want to make that clear. These are, you know, there's, you're talking about how to prop up a, a commodity, uh, and this is this is theory. You know, this, these aren't these are just my opinions, um, which some people share. But you know, I just n- none of this is is empirical fact. Okay, disclaimer. Uh, uh, appreciate it. <laughs> Proceed, sir. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that was the fine print right there. Um, <laughs> So, you know, there's a few different ways. Um, personally, uh, I think that we need, we need to do something similar to what's been done with renewable energy. Uh, and as, as you know, and some, some of your listeners may know from our last conversation, that's, that's something that uh, is more in my wheelhouse that I've spent a lot of time in my career on. And what happened with renewable energy is there wasn't necessarily regulation uh, there was incentives via tax credits and performance credits where to build, a, say, a facility, say, a solar farm, the government wouldn't give you requirements, but the federal government would give you a tax credit for 30% of the cost of the facility. Uh, and that changed the economics of how much the energy is, how much you can charge for the energy that that facility produces. Mm-hmm. It basically uh, it makes it cost competitive. It makes the cost competitive. Eventually, the materials and labor came down. You know, everything came down. Demand grew, and now, uh, you know, the, the 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 tax equity credit is starting to for over the next few years is going to be lowered and removed. Eventually, most uh, professionals, most pundits, most uh, developers think that's not going to affect solar and wind production because it's so competitive now. Um, something similar could work uh, to increase the competitive of these facilities and, and to increase the, competitive of the, the competitiveness of the materials that they're producing. I mean, right now, you know, I mentioned we have capacity, but imagine, you know, let's take Washington, D.C. or New York City, for example. If you have a facility that's going to uh, properly process your plastic, but it's an hour away, you've now ruined the financials already mm-hmm. uh, of a commodity that's worth very, very little. Um, but y- you're not going to build a facility closer because the com- how do you predict cash flow? How are you going to get capital to build that facility? Because the commodity is worth nothing right now, mm-hmm. right? And that's your, that's your cost. That's your product cost. So one way of doing it is in the, creating an incentive for you to actually build a facility with something like a tax credit. So it makes the real estate valuable, and it allows you to absorb these lower commodity prices, at least initially. Um, And it also gives you access to much cheaper capital. So something like that could potentially work. Um, Another less, let's say, scientific way um, is, for lack of a better term, we have to shame the American public. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that, actually. So, like, does market demand for, you know, higher levels of included recyclable content create value for that commodity? You would think it would. I mean, think about it. The average American, and again, we're in assumption territory, um, the average American thinks that they're recycling properly, right? right? Um, uh, we all do. We and in all fact, want they, to. they are technically recycling properly. The problem is all on the back end, it sounds like. 
Um, well, uh, some are. Uh, I mean, there there's a lot of miseducation too. Like for example, you know, if you have a if you most Americans don't know how well you have to clean out those ketchup bottles, right? Right, because the food residue will get will end will result in that container being thrown in landfill. Exactly, and that's potentially not just your container, potentially the container that your bag happens to be in, which is much larger. So that's one part. The other Wait part a minute, is, is it that bad? So if, like, if yeah. there is one ketchup bottle in a bag of recycling that's contaminated, the sorters are going to dump the entire bag into a landfill? Not necessarily, but think about it. Just think about the perspective of, of the sorters, like if, if, or, or the waste hauler, or you know, any, any portion of that supply chain, if you see a bunch of bags or if you see one bag at the top with a dirty ketchup bottle, uh, are you really going to... Yeah, you're like, well, this person doesn't know what they're doing. Exactly. You're not going to go through the entire thing just to make sure. Chances are that you might have just contaminated the entire container. Um, Even worse than that, other things like, you know, how many people throw plastic bags into their recycling? Right. That's so the, the worst thing you yeah, could possibly do. Yeah, because those non-rigid plastics are not recyclable. Yeah, and not only that, but that'll destroy a sorting machine. Like, that gets stuck in those machines. So if you send those to a sorting facility, they're going to stop. Ex- whoever that hauler is, if you, you know, bring their sorter down for a week or even a day, they're not going to accept materials from you anymore so you know there's a there's a cascading effect going backwards and these little things that we think we're doing right um are are wreaking havoc so can you give us a real quick primer on like recycling hygiene sure um all your plastics uh have to be uh either have to be Somewhat rigid or or mostly pliable, meaning no bags, no you know uh, nothing wrapping, no fiber-like materials, and they have to be completely clean, and they have to be in a bag that's clear enough to see how clean the materials are. Mm. That's that's the best way to do it for plastic. You know, cardboard, uh, which is still has a little bit of value. Um, Obviously, it has to be sorted, it has to be clean, and it has to be completely dry. And cardboard is difficult because you can't leave it outside for too long. It's depend- more so in other places, but, you know, you live in D.C., I live in New York, it's so humid. Yeah, they get wet. They get wet even if there's no rain outside. And once it's wet, it's, it's, not, it's going to landfill. So those are two big things. So you know, it's, you want- that, it's that binary. If it's corrupted, it's going to landfill. There is no compost option. Exactly. I well, mean, not yeah, not for, you mean for for paper and car and cardboard. Well, I mean anything that might come out of the sorting stream that's not clean enough to be recycled. There are, there are options other than landfill, but they're not being exercised. They're not being exercised. No, and I mean composting. You know, if you we can go down that rabbit hole uh, a little bit later, but that's it's its own issue. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you know, DC just like relatively recently passed a rule that recyclables can't even go in a garbage bag. They've got to go straight into the recycling container. Um, And I imagine that's for a few reasons. Number one, like the commodity price of the garbage bag itself is zero slash harmful. Um, And also because they want to make it easier on the sorters, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you from an operator's perspective, that policy is disastrous. 
Um, I, it's just I can not, imagine. It's not realistic that my team is going to reopen all of the sealed recycle bags and then dump the contents into the container. But my bigger concern is that when the haulers come to pick it up, I'm going to end up with materials all over the freaking street. Um, it's, it's brutally difficult. And I could give you, you know, some brief examples. The few um, businesses or companies or, or, or events in some cases that do it really, really well, they literally have a, a designated area with designated people wearing gloves and some sometimes hazmat suits that sort ev- almost every piece. That's right now with how the, the recycling in this country is set up. That's really the only way to do it really extraordinarily well. And how in how many jurisdictions is that actually happening? Um, Microcosm. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it happens, you know, a little bit in most jurisdictions, but not a lot. That's just a tough question to answer, like, across the country. Right. But I mean, I could tell are we you. talking, like, in Portland, Oregon, this is happening, but literally nowhere else. No, no, else. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not like that. No, it, um, it, 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 it's happening in D.C. and here and there. It's happening in New York. You know, it's happening all over, but it's a, a, a substantial minority. Mm-hmm. Heard. Okay. We're talking with Gary Levitan about the state of recycling in the district in America more broadly. Uh, real quick recap, it ain't good. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we'll get some tips on managing your home waste streams more effectively. Back in a sec. If you don't know what ghetto style means by now, I guess we're just going to break it down for you. Rock the beat. Welcome back. This is Everyday Enviro, a show about the small things you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint. I'm Danielle Vogel, founder of Glens Garden Market, and I'm joined today by waste stream expert Gary Levitan. He's an expert on a lot of things. This happens to be one of them. So, Gary, what advice do you have for folks that are looking to minimize their personal carbon footprint by carefully managing their home waste stream? So now I guess I'm giving you intro into the compost conversation we sort of alluded to but didn't have also, you know, obviously the, the recycling primer that you gave us. But understanding that um, most jurisdictions are single streaming and the problems that lie therein. Can you give us some some rules of the road in terms of like attempting to prepare our waste to land in the right place? Sure. Um, I, I'll separate this into, into kind of two pyramids of advice, if you will. Um, one is you know, working within the confines of the of your local infrastructure and capabilities, and the other is, you know, if you're more passionate and dedicated to it, some things you could do to like to really hone in on reducing your your real carbon footprint. The first one, um, you know, you have to find out what your local compo- composting and recycling capacity is. 
Um, and I don't just necessarily mean the program that your your town or your city has. Um, I would actually reach out uh, or do some research online to see where these facilities are because especially for composting, you know, if you find out that, you you know, you live in a town, uh, you're a suburb of Washington, D.C., and your composter is two hours away, you know that not every single composting load is going to be going over there. But uh, that's the first thing I would do is find out what's happening with the facilities. Um, then the way that you would go about it is n- – not overcomplicating it. You know, if you, let's start with plastics. If plastics is the easiest thing to do, it's single stream. It's really just a matter of the things that I said earlier. Don't throw any bags in there. Don't throw anything that could potentially clog up uh, a sorting machine, which is just a machine that, you know, has gears and, and, and rollers and stuff. So logically, you could think of soft materials that are plastic-like that could clog something like that up, like, like bubble wrap, for example. Mm-hmm. Keep it to plastic containers. Make sure they're all clean and make sure they're either in a, in a recyclable bin or in a clear enough bag that a sorter can see the contents of it. That's the plastic side. Um, if you can do cardboard, and but what I mean by that is if, if you can get an estimate of when your cardboard pickup is happening and then have you know, your, your life flexibility, meaning you're not going to be at work or you, you have somebody there who could bring it out, say, within an hour or so, um, I, then I would do cardboard. And that's just the same thing. Make sure it's clean. Make sure it's dry. Uh, if you could just tie it up. In one chunk, that would be great. Um, and honestly, simplicity is best. And if you don't think you can do it, and if you think you're going to have to leave it overnight, don't even bother because uh, it's just going to landfill, and you're making everything much more difficult to your, for yourself. Could we put the cardboard in like clear garbage bags to keep it dry? Um, it, it, sometimes it doesn't work keeping it dry because uh, the natural moisture in the cardboard, uh, depending on what time of year, m- might still make it damp. Um, and that I, that can work, but it, that'll, that kind of depends on who your hauler is and who, what your facility is. But that's, that's kind of a last resort. You know, really the best way is to, is to just bail it um, and bring it out as close as possible to pick up time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cardboard. Uh, I wouldn't worry about glass right now because I can't, I, there really is not a, that I'm aware of widespread glass recycling capacity right now. What? Uh, Wait on a minute. Retail, Stop. On the, on, the, on the residential side. Back it up. So all of these glass bottles that are going into recycling are getting landfilled? For the most part, um, it, it really depends on the region. I mean, it really depends on the region. Um, you know, gla- gl- glass uh, also, it, it, it's, it's difficult to sort, you know. I mean, uh, remember, there's a, there's, a, there's a human component to most of this sorting. You know, most facilities aren't fully automated. So, uh, if, you know, the lower quality of the glass, the more there's a possibility that people get cut. It's difficult. Um, so, you know, let me take a step back. Not all of the glass is just being thrown into landfill, but glass is, is very difficult right now to recycle. Absolutely. Are there parts uh, of the country where it's more likely to get recycled? Uh, I, I wouldn't say parts. I would say it, it's granularly 
and I'm not dodging the question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really it's it's granularly regional. Like I, I don't want to say California, for example, because not all of California it, it, it has this capacity. Sure. It's just you know some towns and some cities absolutely, others absolutely not. All right. So the bottom line takeaway is we really want to focus on clean rigid plastics yes absolutely if you could also if you could do if you have high quality glass meaning you're not you know you don't have any easily breakable thin uh colored uh non-clear glass i would do that too if you have a glass recycling program in your town uh and you you know you're like um I'm dating myself right now. I don't even know if they make Snapple anymore, but Snapple bottles, you know, like clear, rigid glass that you could clean out easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I would do it. Um, but again, you know, for me personally, I would rather make it simple and easy and, and do the most actual recycling than just trying to recycle everything. Right. Understood. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's, I actually kind of want to go back to the issue of America exporting our recyclables. Um, So I heard something on NPR. I may not have been paying close enough attention, but is it true that China has basically said we're done taking this stuff? For the most part, yeah. I mean, it's quite frankly, we were were just filling up their landfills. You know, like they, in Asia, um, not not necessarily China per se, because it's, you know, it's more difficult to really get... um, uh, proper understanding of what they do. But in Asia, in other Asian countries, they have up to like 11, 12 streams of recycling where everything, different kinds of plastics and glass are, are sorted and cleaned. And the, everybody from homeowners to renters to corporations take a lot of pride in sorting everything properly. So they were essentially getting, you know, our single stream unclean, filled with bags and compostable plastics and all this other stuff. And they couldn't really sort it that well either. Uh, They did what they could, but I think it got to a point that they just didn't want to fill their landfills up with our recyclables, Uh, quote unquote. And also the, I mean, the insanity must be remarked upon that we're, you know, viciously consuming all of these products in potentially recyclable materials, but then they've got to get loaded onto a boat, literally the slow boat to China, exactly. carted all the way to the other side of the world where they're simply landfilled anyway. That's, yeah, I mean, that that's uh, it's a great way of putting it, but also an awful way of understanding it. Yeah, this conversation about recyclables is really making me feel like garbage. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Always. Um, okay. You, you mentioned one thing that I want to touch on uh, real quickly, which is compostable plastics. So I believe that compostable plastics are non-recyclable and that they muck up the recycling stream. True or false? True. Okay. So that is, in fact, at Glenn's, why we ended up moving away from compostable plastics and moving back toward just straight-up recyclable plastics because... You know, we're obviously, we know this now, not real great at getting recyclables into the recycling waste stream, but we're trained to see a thing that looks like plastic and try to recycle it. So my concern was that if I sent out all of these compostable plastics, they would end up in recycling bins and do more harm than good. You're absolutely right. And the the bigger issue is that compostable plastics, which 
let's just call them biodegradable materials because that's what they were called 20 years ago until we realized that we were now increasing the amount of GHGs, greenhouse gases that our landfills were emitting mm-hmm. because we were now putting these biodegradable materials in them. Um, that's all they are. Um, they it, it, Companies are now starting to add that to their organics, which is awful <laughs> because... You, you, that can destroy an anaerobic digester, and okay. you do not want – it's a different digestion process, number one. And number two, nobody wants to do compostable pla- – nobody wants to compost them because they can't sort them from regular plastics. What is the path, Yoda? <laughs> the path is uh, to move to more reusable materials, you know? I mean – the path is uh, there's lots of different paths, you know. That's the, that's the only thing that will really fix this is we have to somehow move away from this use it once and throw it out culture. Certainly, it, it's easy, right? It's and it's, easy we're not just talking about plastic, guys. We're talking about clothing. We're talking about Everything. anything that qualifies as a single-use product. It just, you know, we had um, a really brilliant urban farmer on the show a couple times, which he was on a couple weeks ago, and she said, you know, before reduce, reuse, recycle comes, refuse. Yeah. So just don't participate in the first place, and you're not going to make the problem worse. That's so right. That's so right. Um, you know, we, the, the part of the problem in this country is that we have all this space, um, and it, it, fundamentally, we understand, you know, we want to reuse things, uh, we don't, we're going to run out of places to dump, but nobody actually ever sees that, and nobody feels it in their wallet because it's so easy just to throw things out, whereas in other countries, you know, that, that, that do much better at this, every town is a landfill, and materials are way more expensive, so they're forced to do something about it. Yeah, we can't just ignore the externalities. Yeah. Um, all right, Gary, do you have any, any last thoughts? I'm feeling pretty bad about the state of affairs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it can't go on. Right. Uh, And I don't mean that, um, as like a passionate plea. I mean, things are going to change. Uh, you know, I, I left RTS not because they weren't changing anything. Um, I, 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 they're one of, the, one of the few companies that I feel really want to change things. Um, of course, they're constrained, uh, but they really do. And there are other companies out there that really do want to change things. And there are a lot of smart, passionate business owners such as yourself uh, who also want to make a difference. Um, and eventually there will be, you know, it, 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 the, the, the good thing is that, or the good thing, the not so doomsday thing about this issue, um, is that it's not as much of a climate issue right now. It's, it's a space issue with the caveat that if we keep putting biodegradable compostable right. materials in our landfills, it's going to become an environmental Certainly. issue really quickly. But it's a space issue. It's a waste issue. Um, and the good thing is that, you know, us as a society and as a country are doing some great things on the environmental issue. Um, federal government aside, EPA aside, you know, corporations are stepping up. We're, we really are making science-based changes to our carbon emissions. So that's, that's, 
that's the bright side. Mm-hmm. Um, the waste issue, again, um, is a space issue. The, the food waste issue, uh, you know, I almost feel it should be paramount. Yeah. Uh, just with how much food we waste um, and how much that could just make the average American's life better if we could just start there. Yeah. You know, start not wasting food. Start sharing food and start stop overproducing food and things like that. I think could lead into other things like plastics and and glass and mm-hmm. paper and all that other stuff. Uh, so there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen tomorrow, but I think everybody's heart is in the right place. And if I could just say one more thing, the, you know, the, the, the one good thing about waste and recycling not being an environmental issue is that it's not politicized, right? It's mm-hmm. not philosophized, meaning you don't have to believe in climate change to know that you can't keep throwing garbage out into a landfill, You don't have to believe it. It's a visceral, simple, logical thing. So it can't be politicized. So there's there's hope. Okay. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, guys. uh, We got real specific today, but the bottom line is every little bit counts. Please do not throw plastic bags in recycling. Please understand that compostable plastics are not recyclable. Do your best to like really thoroughly clean out your plastics before you put them in recycling to the extent you can time the, um, the cardboard so that it's not sitting out there getting wet and destroying its ability to be recycled. Uh, but most importantly, just use less shit. Please, just consume less plastic um, because every little bit truly does count. So, Gary, thank you so much. That was incredibly insightful and interesting. It's always a delight to talk to you. I have three more ideas for future shows, so I hope you'll come back. I'm in. It's, uh, it's a pleasure, as always. And, guys, thank you for listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio. If you like the show, please consider subscribing. And if you have an idea for a show or a guest, shoot me an email at glensmarket at gmail.com. And in any event, we'll catch you again next week for the final show of the season. We'll talk then. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.